But we're going to read the Bible now as we continue on in this series, Reconsidering Christianity. We grab Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 to 9. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I remember exactly where I was when I saw the news. I was a junior doctor working in the town of Dubbo in country New South Wales. Uh, and it was a sunny spring day. I was going off to work, coming in for a morning shift and uh, I walked into the emergency department. But something was different. All the night staff and the morning staff were gathered in the common room. They were all looking at the little TV that was in that room. Their eyes were fixed on the screen. The date was September 11, 2001. Together, we watched the footage of passenger aircraft crashing into the World Trade Centers. We saw people jumping from the burning buildings. We saw people running in terror through the dust. We were shocked. We were stunned. We were confused. And the rest of the day was just so bizarre. Like, how do you have a normal workday on September 11? And over the coming days, the whole world processed what had happened. People wondered again about why and how there could be such suffering in the world. Well, the question of suffering, it is one of the biggest objections to Christianity. It's a real barrier to people believing in a good and powerful God, because if God is good and powerful, why doesn't he stop the suffering? Is he good, but not powerful? Is he powerful, but not good? If so, why would I want anything to do with such a weak and corrupt God? Or perhaps there is no God at all and we might as well become atheists. Now, for some of you, this question arises from what we see in the news, uh, war and floods and crime and abuse against women, children and minorities. We are grieved by the world out there. But for some of you, this question is much more personal. It arises from your own experience of suffering, physical suffering, mental illness, relational breakdown or injustice. We are grieved by the pain in our own lives. Either way, the fact that you're here watching online uh, is a big deal. It's an expression of vulnerability on your part, just to even tune in at this point. It's an expression of trust that our church might have something to say on this question. 
And so for that, I give my respect and thanks. So what do Christians have to say about suffering? Or more importantly, what does the Bible say about suffering? Because we believe the Bible is where we find out about God and we find out about the world and suffering. Well, thankfully, the Bible has more to say about suffering than nearly any book I know. Really, from chapter 3 in Genesis all the way through, it comes up in pretty much every chapter. So anyone who reads the Bible to learn about suffering will not be disappointed by a lack of material. But today we're just going to focus on just one part of the Bible. And that's a story in the life of Jesus where people ask him about suffering. And what we'll find is actually surprising. We'll see that the fact of suffering is not a reason to reject Christianity. The opposite is true. According to Jesus, suffering in the world is a reason to become a Christian, even as soon as you can. Now, how could that be? Well, let's look at the Bible together. The passage is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. I'll have the text on the screen as we go, but if you do have a Bible with you, uh, you'll get more out of this talk if you open it up to that passage. But let's look at verse 1. Now, there were some, were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. All right, so at this point in the story, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's teaching crowds of people, and someone tells him about this news about the Galileans. Now, here is an example of some serious suffering. Galilee is a region in the north, and these men from Galilee had probably come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Uh, they may have bought bulls and lambs at the temple to sacrifice as part of that festival. But for some reason, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, had them arrested. Maybe they were suspected of some kind of political rebellion. Maybe he was making an example of them to warn people in Galilee not to make trouble. Uh, we really don't know, but what he does is horrendous. Pilate had these men killed, probably involving mutilation and torture. And to their pain, he added humiliation. He killed their lambs or bulls and mixed their blood together. It's kind of a gruesome horror show of cruelty. This is a crime against humanity, isn't it? This is up there with the evil of Islamic State in the Middle East or Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And so something like this raises questions. People want to know, what does Jesus think? He's a religious teacher. Surely he's got some kind of answers here. But then Jesus actually adds an extra example of suffering. And in this case, a building accident. Just look ahead in verse 4. He says, what about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Now, Siloam was a suburb to the southeast of Jerusalem, which had a water reservoir to supply the city. And so a system like this needed walls and aqueducts and towers to work. But a tower had collapsed and 18 workers were killed. 18 lives lost. 18 families affected. Another example of suffering. So how is Jesus, this great religious teacher, going to speak about this topic? Well, before we look at his answer, let's just pause and notice something and just notice that Jesus and the people both agree that suffering like this is not right. It's not good. And I think that's something we think as well. This is a shared assumption. This is not how the world is supposed to be. Now, we sometimes take that assumption for granted. Why do we think that suffering is not right? Well, for Jesus and for Christians, that sense of suffering being not right comes out of a knowledge of God and his world. The Bible teaches that God is good and cares for his creation. 
God made the world good and he cares for what he has made. So like even in the chapter just before this one, Jesus has spoken about God's care for the world. He says, not one sparrow is forgotten by God. God feeds the ravens. God clothes the grass of the field with beauty. God is good. And the goodness we see in this world is real and from God. And the person who believes in God can thank him and praise him for his good provision in the world. Now, this is a contrast to the dedicated atheist. The atheist says there's no God. They can observe the color of a flower. Um, They can say that its color and shape lead to pleasant emotions, but they cannot say that it is good because goodness is an idea that something conforms to how it should be. But that implies an ideal beyond this universe. It implies values. And all that is out of bounds for a dedicated atheist. The flower and their response simply just is. But if you think there is such a thing as good and that suffering is not good, well, you and Jesus have something in common. And the Bible says that goodness is from God. So what about suffering? Well, let's come back to what Jesus says and we'll actually read those uh, whole five verses. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, lots going on there, really interesting. But what is interesting is that the implied question of the crowd is different to ours. It's not, why would a good God allow suffering? The implied question here is, were these people more sinful than others? Here's the idea people are suggesting. Maybe, maybe suffering is something that happens to bad people. Now, there is something here. that There is the concept of sin. We see in these passages. You can see that in the language of the passage. And uh, sin, we know about from the Bible, sin is rebellion against God. It's doing evil things. It's also failing to do what is right and good. And it's true. The Bible does say that God's good, perfect creation was ruined by sin. You can read about that in Genesis 3 and other places. Sin has led to corruption and sickness and death in the world, according to God's judgment. But does that mean that the reason these people suffered was that they were more sinful? Well, Jesus says, no, that's not it. Extra sin does not explain suffering. That's a false explanation, according to Jesus. Now, at this point, let's look at some other explanations of suffering that our world comes up with that I think are also false. Firstly, atheism. Well, atheism simply rules out the category of suffering. If the world is all there is and there is no such thing really as good and evil, then there's nothing really to talk about. A virus replicates, blood oxygen levels go down, neurotransmitters are released, but that's all we can say. It's not good or bad that an organism has a beating heart or a still heart, It, it just is. Atheism is a terribly bleak explanation or non-explanation of suffering. Secondly, karma. Karma comes from Buddhism and Hinduism, and at least in our everyday Western version, it kind of means that the universe will bring suffering on people because of the bad things they have done. It's essentially saying that if you are suffering, it's your fault. 
Now, this is good if you're not particularly suffering at the moment. It means that we must be better people than the, those who are, not, who are suffering. It even means we, we can kind of excuse ourselves from helping suffering people because they probably deserve it. But karma is terribly crushing if we ourselves are suffering. Karma says that our suffering really is our fault. Thirdly, what about agnosticism? Agnosticism is the position of saying there might be a God, but I don't know. Christianity might be true, but I don't know. Agnosticism can really only say that suffering might be bad, but we don't know. There might be an explanation, but I don't know what it is. There could be a reason, but we don't know. So agnosticism has no answers and really is a cowardly position for people who are unwilling to commit to either atheism or the Christian faith. There are just so many poor explanations of suffering. And to these we could add uh, fate, um, astrology, or simply trying not to think about it. So what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus is very clear in regard to that implied question of the day. He says, no, these suffering people are no worse than anyone else. And I think we need to take this to heart as well. Jesus is saying, if you're suffering, it's not because you are a worse sinner than anyone else. Don't let your suffering be compounded by guilt, as the teaching of karma would say. And if you're free from suffering at the moment, that does not make you a better person. You've got no reason to feel pride because life's going well. We're all on the same level. So why then do people suffer? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Now, Jesus could have answered that question. Like he, he could have gone to parts of the Bible that show us the goodness of God, the original goodness of creation. He could have shown us the impact of humanity's sin in the world. He could have pointed towards God's plans for an end to suffering, even stuff about the, the, uh, the benefits in our character of suffering. But really, no, for Jesus, theology is never academic. It's always personal. And what does Jesus say? Well, it's in verse 3 and 5. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus is deeply concerned for his hearers. He's concerned for us. Repent or perish. Jesus sees suffering not as a reason to reject God, but a reason to repent and turn back to him. Let's break this down a little. By perish, Jesus doesn't just mean physical death. Everyone's going to die. It doesn't matter what we do. Uh, that won't change. Over in Sandgate Cemetery, you will find the bodies of vegans and KFC fans, exercise freaks and smokers, Christians and atheists. Everyone dies a physical death. Jesus is talking about eternal punishment in hell. This is true perishing. Even in the previous chapter, Jesus said these words. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So, Jesus is saying in, in chapter 13, let these examples of suffering remind you of a worse kind of perishing, the judgment of hell. For Jesus, it's very real. Theology is not academic. It's intensely personal. So what are we then to do? Well, what does Jesus say? He says, repent. Now, what does that mean? Well, repent means a change of direction, 
It means turning away from living for ourselves and instead living a life of worship to God. It's like taking an exit on a freeway. The freeway we're on is living for yourself. Now, on this freeway, there are many lanes. There is the lane of notorious evil, Vladimir Putin and so on. There is the lane of self-confident achievement. There is the lane of fear and anxiety. There are many lanes, but they are all about living for yourself. But to repent means taking the exit towards worshipping God. When you take that exit, your life is no longer about living for ourselves. It's about worshipping God, giving up on sin and selfishness, entrusting ourselves to God, serving God in love and hope. Jesus is saying, take that exit. Let the suffering you see in the world compel you on to repent and worship God. I reckon as Jesus says this, he's thinking back to a famous passage in the Old Testament from the book of Amos in chapter 4. And we'll read that. Just notice the similarities. It's a slightly wrong, long reading, uh, uh, five standards, then a conclusion. But let's see uh, what God says. He says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town and but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Amos and Jesus are on the same page. The message is, let suffering spur you to repentance and turning back to God. Now, it's challenging stuff. It's, it's intense. Uh, and then Jesus actually turns up the intensity with this parable of the unfruitful tree. Uh, as it was read before, there's a fruit tree in Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. that's living on borrowed time. It's got one more year to start producing fruit, or else it's going to be cut down. And, and that's a very short time in the life of a tree. But Jesus is saying, time is short. Repent before it's too late. Now, lots of ideas going on here. We've got Jesus saying that suffering is not a reason to reject faith in God, but a reason to repent and turn to God. But hold on, just why, why should we take Jesus seriously at this point? Why listen to him? What would he know? He's making a big demand on our lives, a big claim. What right does he have to say this? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Firstly, Jesus himself suffered. Just like the Galileans in verse 1, Jesus died by the hand of Pilate in Jerusalem. His blood was shed as well. He too was tortured and humiliated in front of everyone. He was stripped naked, flogged with a whip and nailed to a wooden cross on the edge of the city. He hung there until he died. And Jesus did not just suffer in his death. Jesus experienced all kinds of suffering. If you read the Gospels, you can even list off the sufferings of Jesus. Uh, here are some just on this slide. Uh, he went through hunger, exhaustion, 
slander, family rejection, temptation, homelessness, betrayal, mental anguish, verbal abuse. Jesus is not a wealthy middle-class academic who is spouting off his opinions. Jesus has suffered as much as we have or more. My wife is a GP and she told me recently just about a story about a medical educator who was talking about driving licenses for the elderly. This woman was talking about how to assess older people for their license and when would it be appropriate to remove their license and so on. So yeah, an interesting topic, you know, kind of what everyone's taking it on board. But how do you think the audience responded when they learned that three years ago, this woman's husband was killed by a confused elderly driver? someone who failed to see a red light. And then when he saw her husband crossing the road, pressed on the accelerator rather than the brake. Now, all of a sudden, you know that this woman who's doing the teaching, she, she really knows what she's talking about. You suddenly pay attention a lot more. And it's like that with Jesus. When Jesus speaks about suffering, he knows what he's talking about. So that's the first reason to listen to Jesus on this one. He has suffered. The second reason is that Jesus did not stay dead. He, he rose again from the dead and is now alive. See, if Jesus had just died like those other guys from Galilee, who would really care what he said? Uh, he would just be another dead religious expert. But three days after he died, Jesus rose physically from the de dead. He walked out of the tomb. He appeared to hundreds of witnesses. Uh, he ascended into heaven. He is now in heaven with God and he's been given all authority over the whole world. Jesus is alive. And he calls us to repent, not as a dead voice from the grave, but as a living voice from heaven. So Jesus has every right to warn us about judgment and call us to repent. And in fact, it is a good and loving thing for him to do. When you're at the beach and, and the shark alarm sounds, are you angry at the lifeguards for disrupting your swim? Or are you thankful that they're doing their job and you can get out right out of there as quick as you can? Jesus is warning us out of love for the sake of our lives. Well, we've covered a lot in this talk and Look, you may well have questions unanswered, but what we do see here is the love of Jesus. He cares for us and he is inviting us to notice the suffering in this world and be warned so that we might not perish. Here is the message. Repent of living for yourself and instead worship God and let Jesus be your Lord. And as Jesus said, the time is short. And I think really at this point, I think you have enough to go on. I'm actually going to invite you to pray a prayer that will express your repentance and turning to God. And if you pray this prayer, you are taking that exit off the freeway. You are escaping, perishing and coming to eternal life with God. Here are the, the words of the prayer, a really simple prayer. It just says, Dear God, I, I have been living for myself. I have not been worshipping you with my life. Sorry for my sin. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Help me now by your spirit to worship you as my God. Amen. I'm going to say each line and give you time to say it in your head. And then we'll finish and our host will tell you what to do next. But 
and we'd love to help you worship God with us. So I'm going to pray. I invite you to pray along with me. Dear God, I have been living for myself. I have not been worshipping you with my life. Sorry for my sin. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Help me now by your spirit to worship you as my God. Amen.